0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. Yes, that is a microphone above my head. So uh, most of you will already know the news from today. And I just wanted to say that, you know, now that that news is out, now that that ruling has been handed down by uh, Judge Glass, I guess that's it for me. So sayonara. Just kidding. The work is just starting. So welcome to the unknown number of the Chris and Carrie show. Today was a pretty good day. Uh, Actually, it was a wonderful day. And the wonderful day was nothing to do with court. I did attend court today for about five minutes. Uh, The wonderful day happened after court. And uh, the wonderful day was because of the friends and uh, damn near family that I've met over the last three years due to my stance on the COVID restrictions and the government's response to COVID, to the pandemic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It's been an awesome ride. And today uh, I was actually acquitted of all of the charges stemming from my stance, my protest against horrible government policy. Policy that uh, plainly, it's plainly obvious that the policy was worse than the disease the cure was worse than the disease we see that now i mean there, there's really no denying it and uh, we're put on this weird trail or this weird path where uh, you know society is divided about this and now we're faced with some even bigger questions than before so because we have questions and because uh, it's you know requires more brain power than i have i'm going to bring on the smartest and most interesting man in the world Mr. Kerry Lambert, uh, thanks, Kerry. For oh, I'm so jealous.
1: I I'm to open a beer.
0: Okay, I'm kidding. Usually, I, I've got usually a beer. You a beer behind you when it opens. How do you do that?
1: Where is where is your beer?
0: Do, oh, I, I, have
1: to, you do I have to wait to open this?
0: No, go ahead. Okay. I will have a sip of my delicious water. There you go, just like that. I still can't. so guess what happened today, Kerry.
1: I don't know. I wasn't there. I was busy planning a rodeo.
0: Oh, well, I went to court today. I was there for all of five minutes and the Crown Prosecutor invited the the judge to acquit me of all charges because there was no reasonable likelihood of conviction on my charges. Uh, my, My lawyers, of course, didn't object. AHS's lawyers didn't object. And the judge looked at me and said, Mr. Scott, I'm acquitting you of all charges. You're free to go. And that was the end of that. Absolutely. That was the end. That was the end of everything. So that's and it. And you
1: know what? We we, we kind of, well, there he, go. there he went. I'm not sure what happened to him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, what I found most uh, bizarre was, number one, it was a small courtroom. Not that that really means anything, but it was a sm- much smaller courtroom than we've uh, been in before. And only your lawyer was there. Everybody yeah. else was in a Zoom. And uh, terrible audio, terrible video. But at least you could see that the prosecutor was kind of like this. And yep, yep, we're that's it. We're, we're done. Yep. Yeah. That is what happened. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a full courtroom. And
0: that doesn't, I mean, the courtroom was pretty small. But it was standing room only. And you know what? I caught a smile, or I, I think I caught a smile. On even the Crown Prosecutor's face, when the courtroom erupt in cheers and clapping, yes. and they me. you know, I, I maybe I was just seeing what I wanted to see, but it appeared to me as though we had a little bit of a smirk.
1: And I think Anyhow, if, that, if that cheering had gone on for five more minutes, I think the, the judge would have said, OK, settle down. And of course, of
0: course. So there's a lot of questions now. What does this mean? Is okay. everything done? Can we just go back to life as normal? What's your answer to that, Kerry? Oh,
1: man, wouldn't that be great to go back to, like, 2019? Or maybe even – I'm not even sure when normal actually was initially because, again, our eyes have been opened so much to say, even 2019 wasn't right. Maybe it was 2018 or maybe it was even 2012. Maybe it was 1896. I don't know know, when the uh, original or the normal would have been.
0: Apart from, um, you know, the terrible things that we saw occur over the last three years – and to be fair, terrible things have been happening forever. We just maybe didn't notice them. Yeah. I think we're better off now than we were then. I don't want oh, that. Yeah. Back. I don't want the normal back where I just continue to live my life as if I don't, you know, have any voice or any responsibility to determine the course of society. Yeah. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to a point where I look at or watch the news every day and I say, oh, it's a good thing there's a new politician that's going to come and help us. That was normal for me, Um, that's not normal now, and I don't ever want to go back. And if anything, the silver lining in this is that people like me and you, and thousands, millions of other people across this country and the globe, uh, have started to pay attention. And we've realized that we have a responsibility to keep our government accountable and participate wherever we can. We complain all the time about the lunatics running running the asylum, and then we're happy to sit in our little cubicle in the asylum, watching Netflix while they do everything. And you know, no
1: that. even with, with all the bars and stuff that I deal with in terms of my jukeboxes and arcade games, and even the, the, the bars that I was like really hands on with, there was always this group of old guys. And I do mean old guys, like at least my age that would go in and have coffee and complain about what was going on. Yep. And I would agree with them or whatever. And you know, you serve them and, but what I think now and I and I've done this is if somebody's complaining like that, I actually go and sit down with them and say, yes, but did you know that you can actually make some change? And that is a conversation that people need to be having a lot more. And that's the conversation
0: that's happening right now. So for those of you that aren't aware, uh, I was charged back in twenty twenty one with contributing the Public Health Act um, and my charges stem for my refusal. After a year of compliance. My charges stemmed from a a refusal to to follow the government orders and and rules and regulations that were putting my business into an early grave. I, I, you know, I followed the two weeks to flatten the curve. I followed the next month to flatten the curve. I followed the year to flatten the curve. I rejoiced Mm -hmm. when Jason Kenney went on TV and he said, hey, you know, over the past year, it's been tough We're through it. I'm sorry for doing this. Uh, He apologized for picking which businesses were essential and which weren't. And he said he wouldn't do it again. And I said, yes, this is the Jason Kenney that I voted for. And he's saving us and everything's going to be fine. And then, of course, a few short days later, I think it was less than a week. They locked us down again. And my world flipped upside down at that point. I looked at what was going on and all the harm that the restrictions had caused and by then we had some some statistical evidence to show mm-hmm. us what COVID was, what, what it was yeah. happening, what yeah. it was doing. And it wasn't what they said. And then I looked at the economic damage, the, the damage to families that I had witnessed firsthand and tried to help out with with the drive and movie screen and all that stuff. Yeah. And I said, no, we, we cannot do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to allow a tyrannical government to destroy me, my family, my business, and my life. Because they don't know what the hell they're doing. And so I opened my restaurant in defiance, in protest of those laws. And yeah. I was harassed, and I was jailed, and I've been in court for two years. Um, almost every time I appeared in court was great, because I just met up with wonderful people afterwards, and we had some good fellowship. Yeah. But that that's what happened. And then today, the culmination of all that was it, was, it was actually, I liken it to, you know when you blow up a balloon really full, and then you just let it go, and it goes... <clears throat> Yeah, and it lands on the ground. That's what today felt like to me because my lawyers have been working. They've worked hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours. Mm -hmm. Terry, you and I have talked to and interviewed dozens, if not hundreds of people by this point, uh, many of them experts in these field. We've talked to dozens of expert witnesses that were willing to testify on our behalf. Um, We've gone through so many things to defend ourselves and prove that what we were saying was accurate and the government shouldn't have done what they're doing. The national inquiry. Yeah. Oops. The government did it wrong. And so this stuff was all behind us. It was all illegal. You're acquitted of all charges. And so in a way it was a real letdown because here I am ready to slug it out in the Supreme court so that we can set some precedent and, and, you know, make it so this doesn't happen to anyone in in Canada or Alberta again. And it was kind of, the rug was kind of just whipped out from underneath us because of some illegal technicality. And for those of you that don't know, the legal technicality was that the CMOH, um, she abdicated her, her, her uh, responsibility to enact these rules and regulations under the public health act as a physician. She gave that, to the to cabinet and cabinet made the decisions on how to manage and handle the pandemic. And then she implemented. So cabinet took the lawful and legal power, the CMOH has to do the things that they did during the pandemic, took it from her. They, they took it for themselves. And that was the problem. The judge even said, Oh, you know, Tina Hinshaw did such a great job. The government did what they had to do. This was unprecedented. A uh, 1% of people could have died uh, and it was it, w- it was, tough to hear yeah. because it seemed like, like all of these expert witnesses, all of these people that have been screaming from the rooftops for three years that something was wrong, we need to change things, we can manage this better. It was all swept aside by the court that said, we don't want to look at your evidence because we're not scientists. We're going to just defer to the expert who is the CMOH. And she says there's a pandemic. So there is. So you're guilty. That's what's been happening. Yeah. But lucky for me and lucky for thousands of other people across this province, the government really bungled it. The CMH, CMOH bungled it. And the restrictions and mandates were, in fact, unlawful. Yeah. So near miss, I
1: would say. Ultra virus, which basically virus. means actually, did I even write that down? Yes, I did. Beyond the powers or exceeding the scope. Basically, yeah, meaning yeah. that. Yeah, the uh, the the cabinet or the uh, the government officials didn't really have the authority to say that. So then the big There's- question comes down to, and I think I've said this before, is what happens next time? Will the government learn from that, and they're just going to say, "Oh, then we have to get the CMOH um, um, doctor."
0: I don't know if you saw that. I Did took you a drink of my water? Yes. And as I put it down, it's anyway nice there's two major things here that everybody on either side of this conversation should pay attention to. And by either side of the conversation, I mean those who agree with me and my stance against the government restrictions against the infringements on our rights and freedoms and my willingness to protest or the other side who believes that I killed every single person in Alberta and I need to die. Like, like um, what was the name of that person that sent us the message today?
1: Can I, uh, can I post that? It's got a lot of swearing in it, but I can uh... Mm. Do you want to no. give them maritime or not?
0: No, not really. But do you remember the name?
1: Uh it's Satan. It was Satan. So oh, the name was Satan. Wealthy.
0: Yeah. So Satan yeah, sent Satan. me a message on the yeah. Chris and Curry show today. Yeah, yeah. And it basically basically said, F you, F all of you losers, F Jesus, as a matter of yeah, fact. That's right. Um, you killed so mm-hmm. many people, you goofs, we hope you die. F F F this, F that, F you, F, Jesus, F, blah, blah, blah. I've never received a message online from Satan before. I thought I actually thought that Satan would be much more well spoken and well written than that. But I mean, this is the first time I've had an interaction that I that I know of. So uh, I guess it is what it is. But that's the side that is against us, right? The side that believes that the government did everything right and everybody would have died, and everyone had to just sacrifice everything and forego their families and their businesses and their livelihoods to pursue the campaign, this crusade against the virus. So regardless of which side of that fence you're on, there's something you need to know. And that is that according to our constitution, the constitution of Canada, which is the supreme law of this country, and yes, it is valid. I don't care what you say. And the reason I say it's valid is because the majority of Canadians do and the majority in a democracy rules. So there you go. The Canadian constitution says that the government can infringe on our rights if it's demonstrably justified that they should do so for instance and i use this uh because it's probably going to happen in the future carrie stabs me in the neck with a pen multiple times and he's really short so the scene would be almost the same as in casino and he kills me so the the I mean, courts and it. society is going to say hey we need to take your rights your mobility rights away because you murdered someone so you can't have your mobility right that's a demonstrably justified infringement on our rights and freedoms right i would say yep carrie doesn't agree i'm sure you know he agrees So that can happen, but what's happened is the courts have given governments and authority and bureaucracy this unprecedented power to do as they please and have it saved by Section 1 of the Constitution, which says, unless demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Mm -hmm. I say that's totally fine. If the government can demonstrate and provide evidence in a court of law to back up their claim that my business needs to be shut down to save the world. That's fine. If there's evidence to support it, but in this case, the only evidence that was required was the person who made the rules, the CMOH and cabinet, the judge said in some, in some cases, and these were some landmark cases, I take judicial notice that there is a pandemic, meaning the judge says, I don't need to see the evidence because I can see it all around me. Mm -hmm. I see people dying in the streets. I see people falling over dead in China. I see a ban on bat soup in Wuhan, China. So therefore, I know there's a pandemic. I don't need to hear from Dr. Paul Alexander. I don't need to hear from Dr. Byron Bridle. I don't need to hear from Dr. Eric Payne or any of these other experts on virology and immunology and vaccines for that matter. I'm just going to notice that this is happening. And then I'm going to use the evidence or I'm going to use the word of the person who's making the restrictions as evidence. So Dina Hinshaw says, judge, there is a pandemic. The judge says, okay, do what you want. The public health act says you can take any measure you deem necessary to deal with this pandemic, any measure. You can seize any property, personal or public. Yep. You can put anybody you want in jail. You can chain any businesses' doors shut, anything to manage this pandemic. That's the power that the CMOH has. And if you're willing to allow an unelected official, an unelected bureaucrat, in this case, a physician with less than a couple of years of practical experience as a physician, mm-hmm. if you're going to let them have that power, And you're not going to demand that they back up their claims for for infringements on your rights and freedoms. We have a huge problem. That is a huge problem. That's the way it sits right now. They can close your church. They can close your restaurant. They can take your children away from you. Anything they see necessary. Problem number two. This country has what's called the separation of powers. And by separation of powers, I'm talking about the separation of powers between the judiciary, the legislative branch, and the executive branch or the crown. Yeah. So the legislative branch, we elect people to go into the legislature and make laws on our behalf. For instance, they do things like they come up with the highway, the motor vehicle, motor vehicle traffic act. that says if you do 140 kilometers an hour in a school zone, you're losing your license because you're a danger to society. That's fair. That's a clear present reasonable uh, assumption that that's going to harm a child and that person should not drive. So we make laws to the benefit of society. And the reason we do that is because if we don't, we have no way to peacefully coexist. So we mm. have to make these laws to our benefit. Now the judiciary, the judiciary, they interpret that law. So if I have a, a problem with carry, and it has to do with a law, we go before the judiciary and the judiciary interprets the law and they make a decision on who is within the law and who is uh, outside the law, and who's right, who's wrong. Then we have the crown, or the executive, or the RCMP. They're the they're the they're the ones that enforce, right? So yeah. if Ke- when Kerry stabs me in the neck, somebody calls the police, and the executive branch of government comes in and they take Kerry and they bring him before the judiciary. Those three things are supposed to protect us in the middle. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be independent <clears throat> of each other, work on their own within the law. To our benefit. That sounds like a great way to do things. But there's a problem with that. The judiciary in this case let's talk about Associate Chief Justice John Rook. For those of you who don't know who John Rook is, he is the judge who granted an injunction to Alberta Health Services that compelled every man, woman and child in Alberta because I was named as was Glenn Carrot, uh, Whistle stop some others, Jane and John Doe in Alberta, so everybody in Alberta, he said, if you don't listen to what these bureaucrats are saying, I'm going to hold you in contempt of court. So the judge ordered that Alberta follow these rules because Alberta Health Services has no teeth. They can't enforce, which is the way it's supposed to be because Alberta Health Services, as part of the uh, uh, executive, is supposed to have to go through the judiciary in order to do this stuff to us. So Justice Rook granted this injunction and he said that if I attended any illegal gatherings, according to the CMOH orders, I would be in contempt of court and I would go to jail. I protested anyway because I have a constitutional right to protest. And nowhere in the Constitution does it say that I can only protest if the government says I can. I held a protest. I was found in contempt of court. I went to jail. Here's the problem. This is the big one. Number two. A justice an Associate Chief Justice of the Court of King's Bench here in Alberta, granted an injunction to Alberta Health Services, unelected bureaucrats operating under legislation that allows them to take away your rights and freedoms and my rights and freedoms. And he wrote an order based on their word that put all of you under Alberta Health Services rules. Mm -hmm. And do you know what he did not do? He did not ensure the validity and lawfulness of those orders in the first place. The judiciary failed to do their job in protecting us from the legislative branch of government and the executive, the crown, the crown prosecutors, those who throw us in jail. That's a huge, huge failure. Mm -hmm. If a bureaucrat can go to a judge and say on their word, Hey, you need to give an injunction that strips away every person in Alberta's right to protest and gather, And I'm not talking about just holding rallies. I'm talking about if you were found to have had dinner with your mother and your family in that period of time, you had more than 10 people, you would have been in contempt of court and you could have gone to jail. That judge failed in his judiciary duty to make sure that the law was being followed. And I went to jail. And you folks out there who crowdfunded and helped me get through this had to pony up almost four hundred thousand dollars to help me get through this these are big huge problems if it costs four hundred thousand dollars to defend yourself against bureaucracy in Mm. this province do you have the protection that's guaranteed to you under the constitution that the judiciary will treat you fairly and you'll have your day in court and you can be heard you do not because you don't have access to four hundred grand to fork over to fight a $1,200 ticket that you shouldn't have got in the first place. But if you can't fight that and the, and, the, and the organizations like AHS can continue to do this and get away with it because you can't fight them in court, do you have any rights at all? And that's a really serious question you need to answer for yourself. And if you can't answer it, you better think on it long and hard. Because this isn't just about me and my cafe. It's about families with their children being taken away. It's about people getting stuck in the system and never being able to get out because they can't, because the separate the, the powers of those three branches of government do not protect them. Those powers of three branches of government protect each other. Yeah. Now, somebody told me that I talk long before. So I'm gonna me. I'm gonna stop for a minute. And I'm going to let you share your, your thoughts on this, Kerry. Well, and here. that's,
1: yeah, there was a few things I wanted to say. Number one is about the, the fighting and the 400,000 and all that sort of stuff. So here, here's my take on this is you're right. There's there's a lot of bar owners and restaurant owners and uh, a, a banquet hall owner that I know in particular that they lost their business because really they had no way of backing up and no way of fighting the legal uh, legalese. So they they folded. So the downside is, according to I guess law, it would just look like the business just folded, right? They they didn't have any fight in them. There was nothing, you know, nothing on the media. There was nothing that anybody could say. Well, you know what? They they put up a good fight, but uh, that didn't happen. They folded like a house of cards. So mm-hmm. the downside with that sort of thing is. When, when you when you fold that fast, you really don't have any fight to come back later. So I think, not to pat uh, Chris too much on his back, because he gets that all the time, but they just, AHS and the RCMP and all that, just happened to pick on the wrong guy. Somebody that was actually going to say, you know what, I'm going to stand up no matter what. And then we had Rebel News and the Democracy Fund come in and crowdfund and because of that, you were able to go as far as as you have, and and win, right? Even with our own bar, Outlaws. Uh, my business partner Marla. Somebody said, uh, and uh, make sure that Carrie tells the story about him and his wife. No, you don't want to hear about my story about my my <laughs> me and my wife. No, Marla is just my business partner. But uh, essentially, we yeah we opened Outlaws, and uh, you know we did just like what Chris. Chris said, like that first year, we followed the rules. It was open, closed, plexiglass. We opened up primarily as a music venue. We had a stage um, and we were going to do, you know, karaoke and all that. And of course, with the pandemic, we couldn't do any of that. So we ended up... uh, you know, basically trying to struggle through in plexiglass and we'd have uh, musicians come and they'd wear a mask and play behind the plexiglass. It was all ridiculous because even another place in Calgary called Mikey's Juke Joint. uh, Hi, Mike Clark. um, They actually built this plexiglass box. So if you were a musician and singing or like my case playing harmonica or something like that, you were actually in this box So the spray or saxophone, I guess, would not get outside the box. However, if you were playing, say, a piano or a guitar, you were just behind this one plexiglass piece. So we adopted that at Outlaws because we actually had kind of a, an enclosed stage in the back. So we just had the plexiglass in front, and we had a couple of musicians come in, and they just played guitar, which was great. And over the you know, course of a few months, they said, okay, well, now we can get back to singing. So we get back to singing and, uh, and again, it opens up the, uh, uh, people are now getting sick again. And so they said, well, we're going to just shut everything down. So essentially that's what we did. If you remember Christmas of, uh, 2020, well, t- Christmas, of 2020, that's when they really closed us down for two weeks, but it ended up being, I think it was eight weeks, if not nine weeks at that, yeah. at that point.
0: And that was my, that was my line in the sand. Actually, my yes, line in the sand was the previous week. But I was too chicken.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it took
0: that next week to get me to get me fired up enough. Yeah,
1: well, and 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 we didn't even I did. So here's another thing: I hadn't even heard of Chris Scott up until probably January twenty second, twenty sixth, or something of twenty twenty one, and we were considering just opening up out of the blue as well and saying, you know what, forget these restrictions, we're just going to do it. Of course, we're in Calgary. I can't read that. My mother. No, hi, mom. Hi, Mom. First, we're in Calgary and uh, we would have been shut down right away. So we ended up calling Chris and saying, so how are you open? Like what, what, what's, what's the, uh, what's the secret to, uh, to being open? And he said, just hope. So uh, we talked to a couple lawyers and they advised us not doing that, but we said, you know what? Our line in the sand is when we do reopen, we're not doing the masking and my own personal uh, line in the sand was the contact tracing book which was short-lived anyways but i was concerned what they were actually going to do with that contract tracing information would they have everyone's name written down and they would go and knock on people's doors and automatically say you know what you were at this restaurant when somebody else was sick you cannot leave your house for three months like we didn't know what they were going to do so that was my line in the sand and ahs came in that first week we opened on february 8th of uh, 2021 uh, about two weeks after Chris had opened and um, by the 12th we were given a warning by AHS that we needed to follow their masking rules uh, and we had three people who could not wear masks that worked for us and we said no nope, we're, we're gonna let them work we're gonna have, uh, have them have a job and, um, and AHS didn't like that and they didn't like the way we did the contact tracing book so here's the other thing: the majority of the people, majority of the restaurants out there, did exactly what we did, put a contact tracing book out there, and put a pen, and said, "You know what? If you're going to be coming into the restaurant, you write down your name. You write and down." And you know what's
0: name. amazing about that? What's that? Jason Kenny ate in every restaurant in Alberta simultaneously every day for that entire time of contact <laughs> tracing.
1: And of course, his phone number was eight six seven five three zero nine. Yep. I know I wrote that down a few times. <clears throat> Much to the chagrin of some people that I, would I wrote love. down his office number. Did you? That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we did that and then we had to write up, you know, uh what our what our changes were going to be in our policies and all that other bureaucratic stuff. We had OHS come in and uh tell us what we needed to do and uh, again, this whole thing AHS prior to any of the pandemic. And Chris will attest to this. Really, they would come in, they'd check the, the temperature of your dishwater. They would check, uh, you know, what the, what your refrigerator was at.
0: and your yeah. hot holding. And and because yeah. Really, that's, things,
1: right? that's the major issue is whether or not you're going to cross-contaminate or if you're going to get uh, uh, germs, uh, you know, bacteria growth or whatever. That's kind of – that's what they were really set up for. And all of a sudden, they had this extra power to them and they said, you know what? And masks, yeah, and masks, masks behind the powwow. And um, they would come in and and basically say, this is, you know, you, you got to follow by these rules. And I have video that uh, when they came in with uh, uh, Art Artur Pulowski would say the Gestapo, and it really was. We had the the Calgary Police Service Gang Suppression Unit, the seven in.
0: foot tall, like huge dudes, bricks,
1: bricks guy, like they were like this, right? And they came in because obviously I'm such a terror. I'm such a a threat to them. And um, the AHS guy came in. And now that AHS guy, I actually forget his name off the top of my head, but I I did keep notes of all that stuff. But he was like 5'10 and probably weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. And he was behind his mask. Was he behind two masks at the time? Maybe not. But just one mask anyways. And he came in and he had the police there to basically say, you know, we're going to shut you down. And um, and again, Rebel News did a, uh, uh, a couple of stories on us, and then we ended up going on a couple of other things, uh, another uh, couple of news services. That was not our intent. We did not want that. Other than at the time, it was like, well, if we're the only ones standing up, maybe we can light the fire under the asses of some of the other restaurant and bar owners, and maybe they'll do exactly what we're doing. Cause in mass numbers, then any, anything is possible, but no, they also caved like a house of cards. So businesses, restaurants were still open, but they were doing backdoor shenanigans is what I'll call it, where they would let people in from, uh, from, uh, backdoor, uh, you know, and even when the, um, when the vaccine mandates came in, that was specifically what they were doing is that people would come in, you know, and flash a card of, uh, of, uh, in- instead of their driver's license, they'd show a library card or maybe show a picture on their phone as a QR code would be a picture of a cat. There were lots of ways to get around those things, but they ended up looking at certain businesses and Outlaw's Tap House in Calgary, which is Mar- uh, Marla and mine. They went after us. They were looking at the Whistle Stop Cafe. They were looking at places like the Tipsy Cow and Hannah. Anything that would that they think that they could pro- possibly get in and just break them break us down and say you're closed. But again, I think they picked the wrong people because if anything, that just lit, lit the fire fire in our my ass. Well, say, it gave
0: you look at all the time it gave you to focus on doing something. Well, and so that's
1: true, yeah. You're right, because up until then, there's like I had no time because you're running a bar, right? You're you're yeah. constantly busy.
0: So, folks, you notice the shirt I'm wearing.
1: It's a papa. This
0: is my Alberta Prosperity Project shirt. Today, I gave a a couple of interviews to random news outlets. Yeah, and you know, I made sure to. Well, actually, first of all, I made sure to thank uh, uh, Gil McGowan and the. uh, the That was brilliant. That was absolutely paving the way to my acquittal because it was actually the uh, uh, the lawyers for for Gil McGowan's group that that brought up the fact that the CMOH orders were illegal because they were uh, done by cabinet. They had the decision. Yeah. So the judge in that case said, okay, well then Dina Hinshaw's order to remove masks from children was illegal uh, and so were all the other ones. So it was actually the NDP. Really? Because that's that's the arm of, that's an Brilliant. arm. Of the NDP. Brilliant. They paved the way to my acquittal. So I said, thank you to that. But I also
1: mentioned um, I'm going to post that as well, because I know there were like CTV was there and they recorded the entire thing. And of course I did, was yeah. behind, I was behind recording it. I have really, well, they, haven't even they,
0: they asked some good questions.
1: They did actually, they all asked
0: great. I was, questions. I was really, I was really actually surprised. About it. anyway, I yeah. mentioned that, um, you know, there, see what I put on here, please share this. There'll be some solutions offered shortly and we're going to need them. Let's mm-hmm. get into some of these solutions right away here, because one of our friends is going to jump on. And mm-hmm. I know he's got a lot to say. So yes. let's get this out And there. we will so be able shit. to
1: get a, one word in edgewise.
0: If if the government say, if the government wants to do these types of things and they decide that the CMOH is going to be let loose on the province and they're going to take away our rights and freedoms, they can do it. Right now, they can do it. As a matter of fact, um, Justice Romaine, in her ruling, stated that everything, if done properly, would have been completely constitutional. Red flag, huge red flag. Yes. So I said... Yes. We need to do something about this. We need some legislative reform. We need some policy reform so that these things can not happen. So these bureaucrats can't take this power. So judges can't say, oh, I just notice that Dina Hinshaw says something. So that's going to be my entire basis for everything uh, inflicted on Alberta. We can't have that happen anymore. I, I will agree with you in saying that there are times in society when our rights and freedoms need to be limited. 100%. That's a reasonable thing. Only as long as the evidence supports it. That's my line in the sand. And we need to change policy to do that. So what I said to these reporters actually made it in the news. I said the Alberta Prosperity Project is leading the charge in this. We have policy resolutions and legislative uh, amendment ideas that we're presenting at the UCP AGM. Not we're presenting, but we're advocating to be voted on at the AGM because we want them in policy. We have an opportunity right shortly to make some changes. We can tell the government, listen, we're not okay with you giving uh, control of our rights and freedoms to unelected bureaucrats. That's a big no-no. Mm-hmm. And we're not okay with the courts always siding with you guys. You know, we want to make sure that the courts protect us as well because that's what they're there for. We yeah. can put those policies forward and we can make these things happen and we could do it right now. So if you're worried that the government's going to um, do the same thing again and lock us down or whatever. then get off your ass and get involved in this and let's uh, let's make some policy changes and get some legislation enacted to our benefit, to the people's benefit. Let's take some power away from unelected bureaucrats and let's give the power back to us. Yep. it's ours anyway. and they took it they stole it. And now we just watched we watched the government, take power that didn't belong to them. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I had a man come to my restaurant early in the morning, scare the crap out of my uh, young cook that was there opening by herself, bringing like a behemoth of an RCMP in like this, telling her that if she did anything, they were going to arrest her. If she called me and told me what was going on, they were going to arrest That's her. Right. That's when right. When I arrived, yeah. as I'm walking around the building with this, with this fella, I said, you don't have the authority to take my property. You don't have the authority to do this to me. And he stopped. He looked me dead in the eyes with his face half-masked and he said, I have all the authority. Well, you know what? He didn't have one shred of authority to yeah. do what he did. They did not have the authority to do to me what they did. Mm-hmm. And for those of you saying, you need to do something about this, you need to get some remedy. Oh, believe me, I will. Yeah. This, isn't the, this isn't the end for me. This is This is merely the end of that phase of it. Mm -hmm. This is the end of, you know, wondering if I'm going to be fined into oblivion. And this is the beginning of the real fight, the fight that changes the laws in this province or maybe even in this country and gets us to a place where this could never happen again. Because I don't care who you are or who you work for. If you're going to come and take my rights away from me or you're going to take my neighbors or my friends' rights away from them or even my enemies. And you don't have the authority to do so i will not stop until Mm -hmm. i get you or we change something so you can't do it again and that's a promise that's where i'm at now and uh you know what our friend is calling me apparently he didn't get the invite so i'm just going to send it right now and stop talking longly so that you can talk. p.s for the person that asked why i'm not in my office it's because uh i still haven't got my new computer up and running and my office is a disaster, so I just had to use my son's. Computer.
1: This is the reason why Chris was late. It wasn't me. It wasn't me
0: tonight. It was Chris. No, it was definitely Chris. <laughs> okay, I'm just sending out an invite here. Okay, good.
1: Yeah, the uh, you kind of cut me off in, uh, in in telling my story there, Chris. I know you I were do all that all talking time. about APP, <laughs> but all I w- really wanted to say was that when ahs ahs did not actually shut our bar down it was through the police and then they ended up um ahs basically went to aglc the alberta gaming liquor and cannabis um uh, here in in alberta and they basically took away our liquor license well it's difficult to be a bar um if you don't have the ability to serve liquor some have for a very short time. But of course we, we were looking at something indefinite. And, uh, and even when we were thinking of staying open and doing that, they decided to put pressure on our landlord as well and saying, you know what, this doesn't make any sense. You, you guys need to shut them down. So then we ended up having a meeting with our landlord. And of course, at that point, everyone was behind rent. We didn't take the serve or whatever it was, because again, the rules were changed uh, we actually had to be in business and starting business it be in 2019 or earlier. And of course we didn't open until February 28th of 2020. And then we were shut down March 17th of 2020 because that's the way that they did it. St. Patrick's day, the St. Patrick's day that never happened. And, and really that's, that's kind of how we ended up uh, l- losing the bar was um, the landlord basically took away our keys and, um, and you know there was only so much that we could fight with and we went back and talked to our lawyer about it and again we were just little guys and didn't have you know a, a big pile of money there was no democracy fund although at that point i guess they had taken some collections for uh for people like um uh for for people like uh, like chris and uh even in wes at uh, Ma's, uh mom's cafe in um in uh, red Deer. Uh, and speaking of which he's, his, his, uh, court case, I think is September 15th, uh, or yeah, it's September 15th. So I, we should probably have a few people at the red deer one, uh, red deer courthouse for that one as well. But all of these are now being thrown out and, um, which begs the question, of course, people are asking, so what's next for Chris Scott? Like, are you well, going to try and make some, uh, so
0: uh, I would. I would have to say to that, like that question has been asked over and over and over again. And we have a guest in the waiting room ready to come on. Mm. Um, but I'm going to say for now, you're yeah. going to have to stay tuned because I, you know, I'm not going to sit on my butt and not do anything, yeah. but uh, the timing isn't right for, for blasting all over the internet, exactly what I'm going to do. To That's do. true. That's true. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, I would like to welcome a very special guest and somebody who had a, uh, a somewhat pivotal role in this is our friend Jeff Rath from Rath and Company Law and Jeff was the one who uh, with his, his uh, uh, colleague Layton Grey grilled Dina Hinshaw on the stand and had her admit the way this went down and eventually uh, got a ruling that the CMOH orders were all ultra vires. so welcome Jeff and thank you
2: for your tenacity. Well, thank you. Yep, and it's always a pleasure. And uh, obviously, we're thrilled with the, the fact that the courts decided to, to actually follow the law today in the province of Alberta and yeah. uh, just follow the charges against you. I think the technical term for most of the charges that were laid against you was bullshit. So, <laughs> I've um, read that. Yeah, it's in Black's Law. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, we're you know very happy to see those charges dismissed. And that was the entire point of all of the arguments that my office developed in the ingram case you know to the effect that the uh, uh, all of the hinshot orders were ultra virus the public health act because you know obviously if the orders were illegal none of the you know none of the actions the government took including chaining up churches um you know chaining up your restaurant throwing you in handcuffs all of the despicable things that were done at the direction of ahs throughout the pandemic um, you know, we're lawful and, uh, you know, that's something that uh, needs to be a reckoning for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Jeff, like this was a, it was a good day, but I've been expressing my feelings about this is not all positive. I mean, I'm happy that I'm out from under underneath these tremendous fines, but in, in your opinion, what's the, what's this, the the scary part of this? Like there is another side of this that people might not realize. And what is that?
2: Well, what's what's frightening for me is that we need to have, You know and I know that you know that sometimes people in government watch this show and pay attention to this show I hope they're listening um we need legislative change because I mean one of the scary things about that Mm -hmm. was that uh Madam Justice Romaine did not listen to the arguments that I was making uh with regard to section 29 of the Public Health Act as not conferring this broad authority on Dina Hinshaw to become dictator of the province of Alberta yeah. So effectively, the ruling that uh, Barbara Romaine came down with was, well, the only reason that Dina Hinshaw couldn't operate as the dictator of the province of Alberta and destroy businesses and ruin people's lives and all the rest of it um, was that, you know, she made the mistake of actually presenting that we were referring to it as a, a cocktail menu, you know, going to the cocktail cabinet with a cocktail menu and asking to pick which drink off the list they wanted. And they would then yeah. pick and then she would go serve the drink on the rest of us. Um, you know, we, uh, the judge found that to be illegal, but she said, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, uh, Gina Hinshaw, you know, um, delegated her medical decision-making power to cabinet, and if she was just making these decisions on her own in a vacuum with some sort of vague reference to government and the benefit of society as a whole, every decision that she made would have been, would have been legal. Mm-hmm. Right. So honestly, mm-hmm you know if and we said from the outset that that was a crazy interpretation of the Public Health Act, you know my interpretation personally and this is what we argued in court of section 29 of the Public Health Act was that section 29 of the Public Health Act needed to be read like a typhoid Mary provision, right? So if there's somebody in you know society, let's call her typhoid Mary was yeah. running around with typhoid, knowingly infecting people and has been told by the, you know, the government or the, you know, health officers, look, you have typhoid, you need to stay at home and not run around society infecting people with typhoid. If that person didn't do that, you could then lock them up in their home. You know, you could shut down their business. And what we pointed out to the court was look under section 30 of the public health act to shut down a business under a public health act order. You can't do it for more than 24 hours without the yeah judge right so why the hell would anybody interpret section 29 as being granting such broad authority as to completely destroy the provincial economy to completely destroy businesses i you know i know um restaurant owners that literally committed suicide because their businesses were destroyed by you know these illegal um you know hinshaw orders right hinshaw kenny orders right and um uh, you know, we argued throughout that Section 29 couldn't be interpreted that way. And Justice Romaine, oh, well, I have heard these interpretation arguments. I don't put any weight on them. So the only thing that leaves us with, everybody that's going to the UCP um, uh, AGM this year had better be voting for every resolution that demands that their MLAs immediately amend the Public Health Act to make sure that the, that Section 29 interpreted that way again. Like, so we need legislative change in this province, and quite frankly, the power has to be taken away from the judges, right? It's, this is just, the Romaine decision, with the greatest of respect to her, and I know she had a difficult job to do and all the rest of it, that decision just screams for legislative intervention right across, including, including legislative intervention, with regard to the manner in which the learned justice interpreted the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Bill of Rights in this province, and I and I wouldn't mind talking about that some more if you guys have the patience for it.
0: So let, let me ask you something, Jeff. Um, it's important that there are some bureaucratic mechanisms to inhibit our rights and freedoms in certain cases in society. That's fair, right?
2: Well, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like Section 29 needs to be read as a Typhoid Mary provision, if right? Some- has a serious infectious disease and they're knowingly running around society, spreading that infectious disease throughout society, obviously somebody in the public health field needs to have the ability to lock them up in their home or put them in jail or throw them into a quarantine facility somewhere to protect everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. And in my
0: case, if uh, you know a public, environmental public health officer came into the stop Cafe and they found some weird animal from another country hanging in the back, they should be able to shut you down. That's well, fair.
2: Absolutely. Right? Or found that you know the conditions in your kitchen were unhygienic and you were you know routinely giving people food poisoning or yeah. whatever it was. I mean, those are the types of things that public health officials should be able to do. But the suggestion that all we need, and, and I'm telling you, the more research we do into this, the more it's looking like the decision tree on this is somebody in the WHO or somebody with the WEF would tell Trudeau what to do. Trudeau would tell Tam what to do. Tam would tell Hinshaw what to do. Hinshaw would suggest to Kenny what should be done because she wanted to keep her hands clean and not be sued, right? And then Kenny would make the decision. That was the decision tree with all yep. of the foolishness that we dealt with, right? There was none no
0: expert d- debating there.
2: No, no. None of the people that we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to in AHS appeared to exercise any independent professional judgment or due diligence throughout the pandemic. It's like whatever was being done in other jurisdictions is what was going to be done here. You know, we also we saw it with ivermectin, we saw it with hydroxychloroquine, we saw it with, you know, any, you know, any um, uh, commonsensical approaches to treating COVID, they were told what to do by people in, you know, in power in Ottawa, and they just did it. They didn't exercise any due diligence or professional thought of their own. And they literally destroyed, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives in this province and, you know, and the provincial economy for two and a half years.
1: Do you think some doctors or nurses, do you think some doctors or nurses may have actually said, you know, I don't agree with this? Well, and then they would have been told, shut your face or you're going to lose your job. Well, they were. They were told that.
2: I've represented dozens of doctors that are still currently being drugged before the, um, you know, the College of Physicians and Surgeons for COVID crimes relating to expressing their own, you know, um, know, measured medical opinions or even asking medical questions. You know, I represent a doctor that, you know, that everybody's probably heard of, uh, you know, Dr. Eric Payne. He's yeah. being drugged before the college because he sent a letter to the college early you know, in uh, September of 2021, asking a number of questions about the public health approach that was being taken in this province and asking them why it was that, you know, that we're following down this path when it appears that everything that they were doing, you know, was going to lead us into greater and greater difficulty. Mm-hmm. Turns out everything that Eric was concerned about has been absolutely true, but they're still accusing him of being a misinformationist and in prosecuting him or persecuting him through the College of Physicians and Surgeons for being a misinformationist.
1: Yeah.
2: And, if, and if you wanna see misinformation, the biggest chunk of misinformation that was promulgated in this province, and interestingly, it's what Dina Hinshaw, or not Dina Hinshaw, but uh, uh, Dina Hinshaw, uh, the, um, I'm sorry, what Justice Romaine um, rested her entire decision on, right, was misinformation that mm-hmm. was bought and paid for by AHS through a witness by the name of, and I'm going to put doctor in quotes, Dr. Kindrichuk mm-hmm. from um, Manitoba, who testified to, in front of uh, Justice Romaine, that the COVID mortality rate in Alberta, get this, wait for it, the COVID mortality rate in Alberta was 1%
1: them. Yeah.
2: Right. Everybody that's followed this knows that the COVID mortality rate in Alberta was never anywhere close to 1%. It, you know, under 18s, it was like, you know, oh, like 0.00003%, zero. 0. under 50s, 0.0004%, you know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The only time that co- so-called COVID mortality even approached 1% was likely in the over 84 demographic, Amongst senior citizens who are already dying from four or five other comorbidities and you know happened to have COVID while they were dying of all the other diseases they were dying from, mm-hmm. which you know at that point dying of old age. So that was the justification. That one percent number that we know that that misinformation came from Neil Ferguson at the Imperial College, gets picked up by Kinder Chuck. it gets written into the Romaine judgment in um, Ingram. Right. It's pure misinformation and the entire judgment that says, oh, well, if I didn't find these, if I didn't find these um, uh, orders to be completely unlawful, ultra vires, I would have found them to be constitutional. The entire constitutionality of those orders rests on pure misinformation and Justice Romaine accepting the testimony of Dr. Kinder, so-called Dr. Kindertrack, and I'll come back to that in a second, saying that COVID mortality in Alberta was one percent. Okay. Now the other thing, when I say so-called doctor, he's he is a doctor. He's a PhD, but he is a PhD in microchemistry, not even microbiology. We pointed this out to the learned justice. He never went to medical school. Never had a medical degree. Never studied, you know. Never studied public health in, in, in school. He's not, you know, a medical doctor. He's a guy that, you know, was making his living as a microchemist, right? And then along comes COVID, gets, you know, gets to co-author a couple papers on, you know, on virology, and is now touting himself as a virologist. It would be the equivalent of me as a lawyer with no scientific background whatsoever. You know, getting you know, stick you know, getting somebody to stick my name on a medical paper, you know, because I have some public policy experience in this area, and then getting to call myself an expert in you know, in whatever field of science it is, with my honors degree in political science and my honors degree in law, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the guy wasn't a doctor. He wasn't even a microbiologist, microchemist, and he's putting forward mi- pure misinformation to the court. And the court preferred his testimony as a microchemist from Manitoba over the testimony of Stanford professor Jay Bhattacharya, right, Mm -hmm. who has degrees coming out of his ears from Harvard, you know, you name it in, you know, in, you know, in the field of medicine, in, you know, in the field of uh, epidemiology, you know, in the field of health economics, you know, she preferred Kinderchuk's testimony yeah. to um, to Bhattacharya's and and all Kinderchuk's testimony was, was pure misinformation designed to mislead the court and they, you know, and unfortunately the court was misled and her entire charter argument and everything she said about how she would have upheld the charter arguments on the basis that 44,000 Albertans were going to die um, on the basis of uh, Kinder Chuck's testimony of a 1% um, COVID mortality rate that she found, you know, she accepted that as fact. And that's the basis that, you know, Justice Romaine would have denied all of our charter rights. Mm. So,
0: that's dangerous. Oh, absolutely.
2: And you know, and if there's anybody from any, any MLA is listening tonight, any members of the government, any members of cabinet, please internalize that everything that Justice Romaine said about the charter, and how all of this garbage could have been saved by the charter was based on pure misinformation fed to her by um, by phony scientists that were you know literally spewing misinformation in court, paid for by AHS and their lawyers. Here's
0: here's where I was going with my thought earlier, and it really ties into what you're saying. So I mentioned how the CMOH has really pretty wild powers, right? They can do almost anything they want in the name of health.
2: Well, that's according that's according if, to Justice Romaine now. I mean, yeah statute was ever written that way I but, even, but to the extent that interpreted that way the legislature now needs to intervene and completely you know make sure you know make sure that that statute's crystal clear that the cmoh does not have that power
0: because because let's say for instance in some faraway land there's a cmoh that went to school with the previous administration's leader the previous mm-hmm. premier Do you not think that that CMOH with these crazy powers could be influenced by people who are not in government, who are not elected and accountable to us? That's where I'm getting at here. And one of the things that I'm I'm happy that the the current government has done. I don't believe they've gone far enough, but they actually replaced the CMOH position with a panel or that's the idea going forward. This isn't one person deciding. It should never be one person deciding. It should be. A panel of people doing things to the benefit of the province because if we give that much power to one person and that one person decides you know they're gonna they're gonna have backyard barbecues with rachel notley and talk about how they're gonna screw over the government and the province and and get a, a someone re-elected that can happen and one of the things with government is supposed to be checks and balances so that those things can't happen so if we want to you know mm-hmm. we want to do something going forward we need we've got to close that loophole
2: Well, but even the suggestion that there be a panel that can exercise that kind of power to me is ludicrous, you know, as somebody who's concerned about our civil rights and our rights as human beings. I mean, all it would take is Rachel Notley getting into power and putting five communists on the panel, and then we'd be literally run by their own little politburo, you know, of public health. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's not forget for a second that uh, Theresa Tam has already declared that climate change is the largest public health emergency now facing Canada, and that heteronormativity and uh, capital, you know, capitalism and ableism, Racism, are ableism. contributors to uh, to climate change. So we have to stomp those things out. So you know, we have a panel of you know, right, you know, a little communism within AHs, and we know AHs is full of them now, right? Making those kinds of decisions. You know, we're, we're dealing with the same thing. The statute needs to be clarified. The powers need to be stripped from that statute. There's no circumstance whatsoever. If you listen to David Redmond, or anybody who knows anything about public health, where, um, you know, the complete, you know, like some a panel or an individual arbitrarily locking down whether those businesses are hygienic or not, um, makes any sense, right? I mean, we need to take a really careful look at the statute book. And, you know, again, I think I've spoken about it before on this program, but um, I have a substack called Conspiracy Facts with Jeffrey Rath. Mm-hmm. If everybody, you know, looks at my last substack, was getting sent out, um, and I just see Ellie Matlock saying AHS needs to be cleaned out completely, I agree 100%. They need to be all of them fired. But anyway, getting back to the substack. I've actually written the legislative changes that need to form part of this fall's legislative session. Where can and
0: we find this, Jeff? What's that? Where can we find it? Do you, have you
2: Just Google cons- Substack conspiracy yes. facts with Jeffrey Rath, and it's my last Substack that I published. Right? Yep.
0: Is that your page right now, Carrie What you're yep. sharing? Sure? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'll I'll put it up
2: here. Yep. And and everybody, when you know if they can access it, send it. You know, send it. Send it to your MLAs. I've you know I've had a lot going on in my life in the last couple of weeks. So I've been asked to try to break that down into three resolutions that can be less than a page each. It's only a two page resolution. I don't know if it's going to make it to the floor or not, but that having been said that needs to be on the legislative agenda for the fall, right? I'm going to try, I'm going to try to get to it tomorrow before the deadline and get that, get that out, get, get, you know, shortened versions of it out and in, but those changes that I'm proposing would address, You know, many of the problems that we face throughout the pandemic and would ensure that it never happens again.
0: But wait, Jeff, you're just advocating for the UCP. Why are you (laughs) just telling people to participate in the UCP? Are you a shill?
2: (laughs) No, I'm a proud member of the Alberta Prosperity Project. I am a strong proponent of Alberta independence. But the mission of the Alberta Prosperity Project Is to uh, educate Albertans on the benefit of independence and also to educate governments on, you know, public policy issues, um, you know, for the benefit of Albertans and to protect Albertans from the morons that are running this country in Ottawa. And I, you know, I'm of the view that these changes that I'm proposing, you know, fall squarely within the APP mandate. And uh, you know, will strengthen Alberta as an independent uh, unit within Confederation, if not without Confederation. We either start cleaning up the statute book now or a bit later, but there's certain things that we can't let sit. and the changes that I'm proposing will address a lot of those problems.
0: Bingo, So what I say is that anytime we have chance a chance to make these kind of changes, like the UCP is our government right now. I'm not saying they're perfect. As a matter of fact, I will, I'll never say anyone's perfect but they're our government right now. And if we have a chance to bring some of these policies forward and get some of this legislation on the table, this fall, that will probably would probably end up in the spring sitting. And we can have laws as early as next year that protect us, that change some of these things. That's why I'm so so fired up about this AGM.
2: There's no reason whatsoever that the legislative changes that I'm proposing can't be made in the fall session. Mm -hmm. And they could be made in the fall session. So that Albertans have, you know, have the reassurance that, you know, the, you know, the, the destruction of our rights in this province have been addressed by Daniel Smith and her government. I mean, and what we are the, need it this fall. What's that?
0: And we're probably going to need it this fall.
2: Well, no, absolutely. And like one of the changes, you know, one of the changes that we're, we're demanding are, you know, our amendments to the Alberta Interpretation Act. So the judges are told flat out that... Um, uh, the uh, Section One rights in the Alberta Bill of Rights, to the, the protection of Alberta property rights. That these rights are not procedural. That our property rights are substantive. Which means the Trudeau can't sit up in Ottawa and have a whim one day and decide to strip every firearm owning Albertan of their firearms by federal whim, mm-hmm. right? Because property rights in Alberta they mean something. And you know, and a, a firearm is nothing more than a piece of chattel property. Same as a fork. Same as a knife. Same as a piece of rope. And to be clear, you know, Canadians murder. We're a very low-tech people. Canadians murder far more people with ropes, knives, gut, uh, knives, uh, clubs, baseball bats, fists. You name it. Than we Let's- ever firearms. So, you know, when the federal government says, oh, well, blah, 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 it's well established that the federal government has jurisdiction over firearms control. Like, where does it stop? Baseball back control, yeah. sport control yeah. knife control. Like, you know, like, the, you know, there needs to Britain be, it already has knife on control. The suggestion that the federal government can completely crap all over section ninety two thirteen of the BNA act, which guarantees that property and civil rights in the province, are within the exclusive jurisdiction of the province of Alberta. And the amendments that I'm proposing would do that.
0: Yeah. I, I like it. And, you know, when I took on the role of CEO of the Alberta Prosperity Project, um, one of my realizations was that I had a responsibility to move this organization. And, and keep in mind, this is the Chris and Kerry show. I just happen to be wearing an APP shirt. But I have a responsibility to pursue any avenue possible that helps us accomplish our mission and our vision, and that is—that's a, a free and prosperous Alberta. You know, my my vision for this province, uh, as CEO CEO of the Alberta Prosperity Project, is a province where these things cannot happen to citizens ever again, unless it's actually proven in court that it has to occur. You know, that—that's—that's that's where well, I want to go, and it's right—it's right in front of us, Jeff.
2: And those are the legislative changes that I'm proposing as well. Like one of the biggest mischiefs throughout the pandemic. Were a couple of Supreme Court of Canada decisions called the Vabloff decision and the Doré decision. I spoke about these court decisions uh, when I gave testimony at the NCI or the National Citizens Inquiry on COVID earlier this year. And in effect, these decisions tell the courts that anytime a so-called expert like Dina Hinshaw shows up in court, that they need to um, you know that they need to defer to that so-called expert. And that that so-called expert has to have demonstrated that, you know, their judgment and their decision-making is so out of whack that no decision maker in that same decision-making capacity could come to the same decision. So it creates this huge bar that the average citizen can't get over. Courts don't want to interfere with decisions made by people like Tina Hinshaw. And let's not forget, the Dina Hinshaw, as far as I'm concerned, was incompetent throughout the pandemic. She mm-hmm. should be sued for gross negligence, if not negligence causing death. You know, one of the things that she did, and people have heard me talk about this before, was she public. and again, it starts with Trudeau, goes through Tam, goes to Hinshaw. So Trudeau got an AstraZeneca shot. They ran out of AstraZeneca, they didn't run out of AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca was proven to be dangerous, like Chris like uh, Eric Payne said it was. Mm-hmm. So then after they withdraw AstraZeneca from the market for being dangerous, then Trudeau says, Oh, well, I can go have I'm told now I can have a Pfizer and then I can have a Moderna. So what does Dina Hinshaw do? She's just what like Trudeau's little buddy. It's like I'm gonna get a I've I've had an AstraZeneca, I've had a Pfizer, I've had a Moderna, and now we have poor Kerry Sakamoto down on Lethbridge fully paralyzed one side of her body because she, you know, signed up for Dina Hinshaw's vaccine buffet that Dina Hinshaw was saying as the so-called doctor for all of us was safe and effective. No tests had been done on the so-called safe and effective vaccine buffet. There's no vaccine company in the world that spends millions of dollars, you know, quasi approving their own experimental drug to then test it against how safe it is. When mixed up in a cocktail with some other company's so-called, you know, you know, experimental safe and effective drug, you know, let alone what it's gonna to do to somebody if all these drugs are taken in combination. And we have people all over this province that have been vaccine injured because Dina Hinshaw told them safe and effective. You know, you can take the same vaccine buffet that I just made up, right? But they're still prosecuting or persecuting doctors because they had the nerve to prescribe ivermectin. Or, or hydroxychloroquine, or any other um, any other treatments that were perfectly safe, and uh, you know, and were you know, have been proven to be effective. So this is what we're dealing with: this corruption from the highest levels.
0: And you know what, Dina Hinshaw's reward was for all this? Oh, I mean, she people are dying all around us, and she got a dinosaur named after her. <laughs>
2: oh my god did they really i missed that one yeah
0: they did they named a dinosaur after dina hinshaw because she was doing such a good job keeping albertans alive throughout the pandemic
1: was it dino hinshaw
3: while
0: they were naming dina hinshaw or the dina dinosaur dina the dinosaur or something like that i was hearing stories from people who were losing loved ones because their caregivers were scared to go and give them the care they needed to survive and they were they were dying That's what I was hearing while Dean Hinshaw was being uh, celebrated and having dinosaurs named after him.
2: Yeah. And from a public health management perspective, we all know why they didn't want to acknowledge, um, you know, natural immunity from the outset of the pandemic. If they just said, okay, from now on, we understand that people, you know, that seniors, um, you know, are particularly susceptible to this virus, right? Like they are to any other respiratory virus. So from this point forward, right. Only caregivers, that have had COVID, and this is like, I'm talking 2020, 20, you know, before, you know, going into
3: 2021,
2: before we had the uh, vaccines available, only caregivers that have had COVID and recovered should be allowed to work in our, you know, in our seniors' homes, right? If they implemented that step, we would have had a fraction of the deaths that we had. But all of the people in our public health establishment were so busy trying to deny the fact of natural immunity arising from, uh, you know, from. that, you know, simple management measures that could have been put in place and that could have saved lives, you know, weren't implemented by these people that we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, half a million dollars a year, uh, you know, to exercise zero professional judgment and just do what Trudeau tells them to do. Yeah.
1: Well, there was the media machine there too. And, and, you know, like you had all the major networks promoting that you got to go and get jabbed. I had originally heard that we had a $15 million budget for advertising in Alberta to go and get the jab. I know how much $15 million in advertising is. I would say we probably had 60 to $80 million worth of advertising. We had a crazy amount. It was everywhere.
2: Well, and on top of it, I mean, I think obviously the media was complicit in all of this, just like they're complicit now trying to, you know, scare people into getting remasked and, you know, scary yeah. acting, you know, CBC is now acting the shills for the new, you know, the, the new vaccine campaign. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like whatever vaccines are going to be putting out this fall, we're based on, you know, are going to be, you know, are, are, are for are for viruses that are going to be extinct by the time the vaccines are delivered. That's why there's never been a vaccine for the common cold. Yeah. Everybody knows, and we've seen it throughout the pandemic. Coronaviruses mutate too quickly, right? So all of this stuff we're poisoning people, causing miscarriages, sterilizing young women, yeah. you know, all this stuff that's going on, you know, it's all for nothing because by the time the vaccine gets to market, we know for a fact that the, you know, that the uh, disease has already mutated mm-hmm. on. And yeah. of course, the other thing we're hearing now, which is just, you know, just absolutely mind-boggling. Is there, there uh, part of their fear campaign and part of the new fear porn? Is that oh well, you better get vaccinated because this new strain of COVID, you know, it's especially you know um, you know it's especially attracted to people that have been vaccinated, right? So it's almost this tacit admission that if you've been vaccinated, your immune system has been seriously compromised, yeah. and you know, get ready for every new round of whatever it is that comes out because you're going to get it because we buggered your immune system. And the only hope for you is to stay on the vaccine train and get shot after shot after shot until your heart's completely encapsulated in plastic in a form of pericarditis that you're not going to survive. I mean, this is what's going on in society. And of course, by saying that I'm not going to be accused of being anti-vax and all the, Mm. you know, all the normal names that they want to put on us. But it's like, I'm sorry. I know too many people that have been vaccine injured now. To, to shut up about it, because I'm sick and
0: tired of this crap. Uh, we may have another guest joining us. They're a little bit ahead in uh, in Amsterdam, so he might be sleeping. But it might pop on, just, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> I agree with all that, Jeff. Like, there's so much going on. It almost, we're supposed to be talking about me here, man. Just kidding. My stuff <laughs> is the least of all of this right now. We have so much other stuff going on. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because there's a lot of people suffering.
2: Uh, no, I want to go back to that for a second, and I do, in a non-facetious manner, want to acknowledge your COVID heroism. I mean, that's not
0: heroism; it's uh, stubbornness. No, no, no you,
2: you you can shut up and take this for once. So you are a true hero, Chris. I mean, you were handcuffed, your business was padlocked, you were drug away in chains by the fascist regime that was running Alberta because you had the balls to stand up and say this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, that I'm I'm really proud to be associated with you and I'm really proud of you for doing. And, I, you know, I, I, I think that you really need to be acknowledged as being one of the true heroes of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, I'm all part in helping you have your charges dismissed. Good for you for standing up to him.
0: I appreciate that. Thanks. I, I actually, uh, I made a comment to the interviewers, like the reporters that were outside the courthouse today. I said, you know, we'll see who's got the courage. As a journalist, to actually speak the truth and, and tell the important things, and I said, throughout the last three years, I've spoken to dozens of MLAs, uh, premiers, I've spoken to pre- uh, past premiers, doctors, nurses, experts in, medic- in, in medicine, all sorts of different people, and the running theme in with a lot of people that were in authority or in uh, in the legislature in, in the last three years was when they met me, they said hey, we were rooting for you, and we knew it was wrong, but we just couldn't say anything. And one of the news outlets actually published that statement. That's a true statement, Jeff. You have no You probably do have an idea how many okay. people have in positions of power that said they knew it was wrong, but they couldn't do anything about it.
2: There, there were all kinds of MLAs that were telling me off the, you know, off the record that they supported the litigation that we were pursuing and that we were on the right track and just to keep it up, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like what really bothered me, and I mean I was, and I was pushing it with them. I pushed it with Nathan Newdorf. I pushed it with, you know, pushed it as hard as I could with the entire caucus and you know, demanded that they exercise some courage, right? And you know, throw Kenny out on his ass, which they never did. I mean, it took all of us coming together yeah. and you know and and doing it, you know, through popular revolt. But I mean, Caucus should have thrown him, thrown him out on his ass long before it came to that. You know, and, you know, none of them had the balls to say, well, I shouldn't say that. There were people obviously that, that I admire and support guys like, uh, you know, Todd Lowen that had the, you know, have the guts to stand up guys like uh, Drew Barnes that had the balls to stand up, you know, but few and far between. And I'm telling you that caucus was marked with nothing but cowardice.
0: Here's a good one for you. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this Jeff, or not leave you with this. I'm going to hand this one over to you because you know about this, you've been hearing about it for years. What are your comments here?
1: So it says oh, saying this
0: win is not really a win for the people, though. They're saying it actually gives the CMOH even greater powers. I'm confused by what they mean by this.
2: Well, Wendy, don't be confused. It's a court judgment. And, you know, quite frankly, the as far as I'm concerned, from and this is from a legal perspective, the only part of the judgment that means anything, right, is the part of the judgment where the judge said these orders are illegal or ultra vires, right? everything else the judge said after that was what's called obiter dicta or her opinion. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying if I had 6 million bucks, I'd have a really nice boat, but I don't have $6 million or a boat. Right. But that having been said, the fact that the judge pointed out in her decision that there's still some judicial confusion as to the extent or the, to which section 29 could be applied or that another, um, CMOH could become dictator of Alberta. Um, really underlines the need for the legislature to act and the legislature to amend the um, uh, to amend the Public Health Act. And that's why it's really important that everybody that either you know doesn't have a membership to the UCP or who is a member you know get one and go to the AGM, or anybody who is a member of the UCP go to the AGM. And talk to your MLAs and demand, demand that the laws be changed this fall, um, in accordance with the, you know, the changes that I proposed in my Substack 22, because that'll keep that from happening ever again. But the legislature needs to start acting and rein the judges in because the judges really don't understand this stuff. They've proven that they're far too, um, easily swayed by all of these ridiculous arguments that, uh. Somehow or other, um, you know, whatever it is that somebody like Dina Hinshaw says, you know, has to make sense. You know, this needs to stop and we need the legislature to rein these people in
3: and the legislature has
2: the power to do it. They make the laws. Judges are supposed to, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to apply the law. And the problem is throughout the pandemic, the judges were acting as legislators and making law Mm -hmm. rather than applying law. And that's what resulted in all the human rights abuses that we saw in this country.
0: Here's some backstory to, to this comment. So Stanford, the, um, they are, I they're trying to do some good things, but they're borderline per, borderline trashing people like me and you and Jeff. They're basically saying that uh, because we're not using the Bill of Rights, we are condemning Canadians to being uh, in, under tyranny under the Charter. And there's a lot of mis- misconceptions here. One of them is that it's giving the CMH CMOH even greater powers. It's not. All the judge said was that the CMOH actually had those powers should it have been done the right way. There's no more power or less being given here. It's just clarifying that she could do this if it was done according to legislation.
2: No, but again, that was just her opinion, right? Right. Her actual decision, the only decision that matters, right, is that the orders themselves were ultra vires. They were against the law. The minute, that's it. After that, Everything she says is her personal opinion. Yes. It's not binding precedent, and it doesn't even make sense, you know, from, in, from my respectful opinion. And, and, and again, like I said, a lot of it was based on misinformation. Her entire decision was colored by her, her incorrect, erroneous, factual finding that COVID mortality rates in Alberta were 1% when they never, ever approached that. Right. So, you know, of course, you're in a panic. I mean, that's how that's how they sold uh, Trump on turning the United States into a medical dictatorship under Fauci. Oh, President Trump, President Trump, the COVID mortality rates are between one and two percent. That means between three and six million people are going to die from COVID in the United States. This is the American Holocaust. Oh, my God, all these people are going to die. Blah, blah, blah. Right. It was all bullshit right from the start. COVID mortality rates were never anywhere close to 1%. I mean, I, I think I told—I may have told you this on previous shows. My father was an epidemiologist. He was one of the most senior public health officials in Canada when he was alive. He would have been the equivalent of Theresa Tam. He held the equivalent rank of Brigadier General in the Canadian Armed Forces. And uh, uh, my dad was actually involved in shutting down the swine flu vaccine after it had killed 50 people in North America. And he said that was unacceptable and we're not going to continue to deliver the uh, the vaccine in Canada. So I mean, you know, and you know, so my dad studied epidemiology. I lived in Berkeley when you know, California, when my dad was doing, uh, you know, another masters in epidemiology. So I knew, I knew a little bit about it, sort of absorbing it through osmosis. So the minute the pandemic started, I got my calculator out and I saw the death clock. And every day they ran the death clock, I'd do a mortality calculation. Right mm-hmm. at the outset, I mean, the death toll for COVID was zero point zero four percent. So I turned to my wife and I said, I don't know what the hell's going on. I said, mortality rate is no worse than, you know, a bad H1N1 season. I don't know what other people are doing, but our family is not going to panic. We're not going to worry about any of this garbage. And we're going to live our lives the best we can as normally as possible. Because to me, it all seems like bullshit, right? And that was my view from day one on the pandemic. Anybody capable of doing basic math could figure that out. So how you go from 0.04% to one and 2% mortality rates? You know, it's just ridiculous. It was never based in reality. It was always just this huge, you know, in Latin, we call it an, in law, we call it an interim argument. Let's terrify the world with how horrible this is going to be. Well, that judge bought into that misinformation.
0: It was you know, magic.
2: Literally was sold misinformation by AHS employers, Right. And, and was selling misinformation throughout the whole pandemic. We were dealing. We were dealing with a court case for Eric Payne and uh, Poser um, you know, and others, right? And in that court case, they filed an. Affidavit. They got a Nobel Prize winner, no less. The guy by the name of Sir Michael Houghton from the Leukaemia Institute in uh, uh, virology at the University. Of I call it the Institute because it's all about the money. Just follow the money, right? So this guy files an affidavit that says. That the pandemic will not end until every single human being on the planet has been vaccinated for COVID. It was like one of the most ridiculous pieces of evidence ever, right? And mm-hmm. this is this was, again, the, the misinformation that AHS was putting in front of the courts and the courts were gobbling up with a fork and spoon. Like it's just disgusting what happened throughout this pandemic and AHS's role in this and AHS's role in promulgating misinformation both to the courts and the Alberta public is something that needs to be looked at under a microscope and every lawyer and every goddamn doctor at AHS that was involved in promulgating this information needs to be fired.
0: I agree. I got to move on because we have a guest waiting in the waiting room, but I want to, I'm just going to say this real quick. The reason why I don't uh, advocate for what organizations like Stanford are doing, they're, in my opinion, now I'm not a lawyer, but they seem to be using pseudo legal arguments that don't have a chance of success, that haven't resulted in success. They're claiming success for um, for things that they really had no, uh, no, no part in. And then they're saying that people like Jeff, who are fighting this thing tooth and nail, are something like you know, they're not good guys because they're not just using the bill of rights. And if only we use the bill of rights, we would win. Everyone would just win. It's all baloney. It's all fake. If you want to go down that path, go ahead, fill your boots. Um, If you want to end up in my position where you're basically fighting for your your life in court and you want to try those things, go ahead. Uh, I haven't seen it be successful. It doesn't seem to have a foundation in law and I'm just not going there.
2: Just to jump in on that, Chris, we did put forward a very strong Bill of Rights argument and the legislative changes to the Interpretation Act that I'm putting forward address the Bill of Rights and to strengthen the interpretation of the Bill of Rights. So Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that, but I do have a problem, like you say, with the kind of freedom on the land kind of people that are trying to steer people down a dangerous legal path. And putting them in legal jeopardy with a whole bunch of quasi legal theories. I mean, you know, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a litigated case for two years, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna raise the Bill of Rights. I mean, I put the Bill of Rights in front of the Charter. I thought we had stronger arguments under the Bill of Rights than we had under the Charter. And my argument under the Bill of Rights was there's no Section One exemption under the Bill of Rights. But Justice and just completely ignored all of that, right? And that's
0: because the key, right?
2: People don't want to rule in our favor, so. The issue isn't the statutes. The issue isn't the lawyers arguing the cases. The issue is that we need to amend legislation to restrict the ability of judges to color outside of the lines to the extent that they're coloring outside of the lines. And I think that's you know that's where we need to go as people. We need to you know we need to take control of our lives back. You know from a you know largely liberal appointed judiciary and um, you know make sure that are, you know, our rights are
0: actually respected on a going forward basis. Bingo, I'm gonna answer one more question then we're gonna bring our uh, friend from Holland in. So Cora says, is it possible to get rid of section one in the charter? Now, uh, I will tell you that in order to make any changes to the charter rights and freedoms of the Canadian constitution, the hurdles are almost insurmountable. Yes. Yeah. We discuss them at APP events, webinars, and online and frequently asked questions. You can head over to www.albertaprosperityproject.com to find that information. So the, the short answer is yes, it is possible to do it. The long answer, more long answer is it is possible, but it's highly unlikely unless we do something like we've never done before in Alberta and we have a referendum on independence and we have our own
2: constitution. So that's that's where I'm going to leave that. And just let me jump in on that from a legal perspective, Chris. That's Sure. One of- that i'm proposing the changes that i'm proposing to the uh, alberta interpretation act one of the things that we say is that section 1 has to be interpreted extremely narrowly and should only be yes. used in the case of the eminent destruction of the alberta legislature or the alberta population right mm-hmm. because what one of the arguments that i made to the court and i'll you know i'll make it again here is that section 1 you know really should not be utilized Other than in the direst emergencies, because like the Bill of Rights, there's a legislative remedy if the government wants to trample on our rights. And that is under the Bill of Rights, under the Charter, and and under the Charter, there's another mechanism, they can invoke the notwithstanding clause, right? And what I've been arguing is that when courts hand out section one remedies like lollipops. And now every time I hear section one, I think of the lollipop song, lollipop, lollipop, here government have a lollipop, right? It's like anytime they get in trouble, they invoke section one and the courts hand them out like lollipops. What that does is the court is literally interposing itself between the citizens and their elected legislature, right? Legislature. So every legislator, anytime they want to trample on our rights, should have to do it on a, on a roll call vote on the record so we can see who every bastard was that voted against our rights. And then when it t- comes time for them to be reelected, we can stay at home on our couches eating popcorn like people did in Calgary with Chandra and Coffin and have the ba- bastards voted out of office. That's why Bingo. Section 1 remedy shouldn't be available. And think about it in the case of, of uh, Ingram. What would be excuse for invoking a Section Remedy, you know, even you know, that far after the fact and say, Oh, I would have granted the section one remedy. The government never proceeded with any urgency. They delayed the case at every turn. They drug us through the courts for two and a half years. Yes, so yep. there's the freaking emergency that you need to invoke section one? You know, they had plenty of time as a legislature. Jason Kenney and all of his little cocktail drinking pals, you know, could have you know called the legislature together. And stood up like men and women with some balls, and invoked the notwithstanding clause in the Constitution. But no, they want to hide behind their lawyers and hide behind Section One, and that fig leaf needs to be taken away from them. And the you know my proposed amendments to uh, Section One of the you uh, uh, know the Interpretation Act would do that.
0: Yes, in this day and age, both men and women can have balls, folks. On that note, on that think- note.
2: And quite frankly to be clear I know some women that have bigger balls than most of the men elected to the legislature
0: right now <laughs> I don't know how to say it stemswig vote them out yeah vote them out yeah absolutely. on that note I'm gonna bring on uh, my friend Jasper who actually can read that and pronounce it properly good morning Jasper
3: Stem- good morning stems event good morning Jasper <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Good morning. Can really, yeah, uh, really early or really late, but uh, I was so excited to hear the, the good news, so uh, yeah. I uh, I had to follow up on uh, on this uh, great uh, great news. Well, congratulations first off uh, for all of you, I guess, and especially to uh, to Chris, because yeah. uh, finally some good news coming out of a, co- a court case.
0: Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. And I like your t shirt. Where'd you get that?
3: <laughs> yeah, there's I, a bit of a uh, delay. Uh, uh, the small uh, little uh, shop which you'll all have to visit is called Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta, <laughs> which I've been there. Nice. And everybody who's not been there, you, you should go over there.
0: Awesome. Well, Jasper, I don't know if <laughs> you have chat really, to meet uh, really Jeff
3: nice And this is one of those.
0: So, yeah, we have a bit of a delay. Jeff was one of the lawyers uh, who yet, watched but, uh, the lawyer who, nice to who, Jeff, who ran a point to on done. the Ingram case and got uh, uh, you know the judge to rule in our favor. So uh, I, j- I just wanted to bring you on, and unfortunately there seems to be a bit of a delay, but I wanted uh, you to just let us know quickly what's going on in Holland uh, and kind of put that in perspective of what we have just seen here in Canada.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the thing what we're now is seeing is, it's it's uh, a uh, you've guys you've got the APP in Holland we've got a subsection sort of it's called virus truth and they um, uh, uh, what they're doing now they're um, it's they're um, asking for documents within our um, uh, Political system. It's called WOO uh, papers, which translated uh, as a, a public uh, government law, uh, open and ter- ter- uh, ter- <laughs> clear policy. And what, what actually happened is that how the government works out with the Dutch uh, uh, health organizations and all these subs uh, things between them, how they uh, handle it. Uh, in coordination with social media and how social social media is censorizing uh, critical voices uh, pushed by the government, Uh, but it's working several ways out. So, for example, Facebook, Twitter, and all these platforms are... Uh, educating and giving courses to uh, uh, government employees how to censor people on the internet. Uh, for for example, the uh, in 2020, the start of the 2020, uh, our YouTube page with over uh, 30,000 k followers has been leaded and the government knew this before we did. So. It all—if um, um, you look up the documents—is really shocking how they interfering with all the policies. And uh, what happening in Holland is happening all over the world, and you see it in Canada how the government, instead of the health authority, of the the, the, uh, the woman who is supposed to be in charge of the health, is taking over by the government. So mm. it, uh, we see it uh, uh, if you're going deeper in it you uh you see how it's all intermingling together how we're our voices are being uh censored and uh if you look up there is uh, the virus too, that uh, has made a wow. uh, um a broadcast out of it and yeah. especially common sense TV, which the government was proud of being kicked out of youtube because we're anti-government we're not anti-government we're thinking the government is a good thing but they don't have to be involving in our personal life or how we arrange that yeah. so that's uh how Jeffrey was saying things who he's been doing in in court cases we see it in the background how the Dutch government is interfering with all the ways of life in social media big tech big uh, pharmacy big companies and all the way up to uh, uh free journalism so uh it's it's uh, uh, quite massive and i think if if in canada is is uh and, and alberta has a a, 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 pop- a way of getting these documents um from the government you will see exactly what's going on because they need to be ter- uh, ter- uh <laughs> I don't. I don't pronounce the word. Uh, the, the, the transparency in it. So that's probably the same thing with uh, what they do. Unfortunately, it takes
0: a while to fly the internet from. I,
1: obviously, obviously, you does. hear
3: me, still.
0: <laughs> yep, internet's a oh. little shaky. Is it? Yeah, somebody must have ran into the transatlantic cable. Mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> They're already interfering now.
0: Yep. Well, Is um,
3: it clear or? no, it's
0: it's okay. We're we're coming up on uh, closing time here anyway. It's almost ten thirty here, mm. which means it's what four four in the morning half past four in the morning there. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to bring you on to uh, say hello and let you know that we're making some progress in Canada, but mostly just identifying that we have to do more. That's all that's happened here. And it's kind of the same thing that's going on in Holland. And also, I wanted to find out what kind of appetite there was for you to come visit uh, Canada again, maybe and go to a rodeo.
3: I uh, understand He's all you're organizing a uh, a, a, ma- a massive event. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to come over if it's uh, uh, if you want me to. Okay, well, we'll see what we can do. It's going to take a little bit of support from our
0: friends, but uh, you know what they say: you get by with a little help from your friends. So, yes, folks, Carrie and I, we have formed a production company called Chris and Carrie Productions. The name seems fitting, considering our names are Chris and Carrie, and we're pretty doing much that. yeah. Our first major production is the Ramstead Real, Realty uh, Bibles and Bulls Rodeo, which is the second annual Bibles and Bulls Rodeo. And that's occurring in Bashaw, Alberta, September 8th, 9th, and 10th. If you haven't already got your tickets, you can't get any more. They're all sold. Just <laughs> kidding. I'm all just right. kidding. That would, be,
1: that would be absolutely amazing. Absolutely. That would be, if you haven't got
0: your tickets, get them. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is it's going to be an absolutely amazing time. We're going to have a, some great rodeo. We're going to have some awesome music. Carrie will be there. So, I mean, what more could you ask for? Exactly. Carrie's there. Uh, The second reason is, you know, people are always asking, well, you know, how do we support you, Chris? How do we support you? Carrie? Well, you could participate in our capitalistic endeavors. And this is one of them. Uh, Carrie and I really enjoy doing these types of things. We like uh, having events and bringing people together and having a good time. And so it seemed fitting to do something like this. So, by purchasing tickets and attending They're these events and, per- and having some fun, you're helping us out. Uh, maybe you'll see Jasper there. We'll see. Hopefully, we can we can arrange that. But yeah, definitely get your tickets. There's also still uh, some spots available for vendors, both indoors and outdoors. Yeah. We have space for roughly 300 campers, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say at least 300. Definitely. So there's lots of room. Bring, the, bring your family, bring your friends, bring your enemies. Uh, who cares? Just come out and watch some rodeo, have some beers, and have some conversations. Yeah. It's going to be a great time.
1: And you can get more information and tickets available on the Chris and Um, I'm, I was actually really busy this weekend. And then, of course, I lost today because of such a, a, a momentous um, decision being made and um, not not able to get as much done today as I wanted to. But probably as of tomorrow, the actual schedule will be posted and uh, we will be looking for volunteers. It's difficult to ask for volunteers if you don't know what the schedule is like. So that's kind of what needs to be done. Uh, we're working with a production company that's actually going to come out and do the uh, audio and uh, and some of the video stuff, lighting for the, the concert on uh, Saturday night. I'm really looking forward to that. It's not just putting up a couple of speakers um no this is the real deal and we really you know we do tend to do that just because it's convenient at the at the whistle stop and we've got you know that that stage that pseudo stage set up inside the semi-trailer no this is an actual stage it will have a lighting a lighting rack uh speakers um professional sound professional lighting so you're you're getting kind of the big show. You're definitely getting the big show for, uh, for your admission, as well as the rodeo and, uh, and barrel racing. And uh, we're, we're even getting a few um, kid events that are going to be taking place. And we're, again, that's kind of what I want to put on the schedule so that you know what's going on. So Friday night, the big thing, of course, is the barrel racing. We're going to have a couple of musicians, and then we're doing karaoke after that on Friday night. And then on the Saturday, we do free pancake breakfast and we'll do the full full meal, actually maybe not a full meal rodeo, definitely the bowls and a few other events in there. And then, uh, and, and kids entertainment as well. And then we'll have live music with third degree opening up for Craig Moritz, who's uh absolutely amazing in his band. Yeah, and he puts so on a great show. I'm absolutely excited about that for sure. And well, then,
0: you know what? let me interrupt you for a second, Carrie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. When, when you come out to the rodeo and you have a chance to meet Craig and his band, yeah, you're gonna be very, very happy that you did. Like, these mm-hmm. are some awesome, down to earth Albertans that are. You know they believe in the in the right things. I would say, and it's uh, great to be able to support them. That's and right. I need, I also need to mention that we do have sponsorship spots yep. still yep. open. A few of yep. them. So can always, want to sponsor, it it always use
1: more sponsors. And again, yep. this sponsors they can help out just uh, monetary. They can help out with prizes. Um, they can help out donating stuff in terms of maybe they they can do stuff for us. Maybe if you've got a tractor. And you can help out and bring a tractor out there or maybe your car dealership and you want to put a car out somewhere on the field and and uh, or in the, uh, the green space and promote your business. Absolutely. Just let us know. We're, we're totally open to those ideas. And then I'll just wrap up on Sunday. The whole reason we're calling it the Bibles and Bulls again is because... The idea would be Cowboy Church, and we're doing Cowboy Church on Sunday with uh, our our good buddy Tanner Today. He's gonna come out and, uh, and 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 kind of take us through a service on that Sunday uh, and we'll have kids' entertainment and live music as well. So there's something going on every single day. It's twenty if seventy five bucks for the weekend can't get any better value than that. If uh, your um, kid 13 to 17 were seniors, you can get in for $60 for the weekend. It's $20 a day um, on, uh, on the Friday and the Sunday and it's $50 to get in on the Saturday. So
0: just buy the full weekend, come on.
1: It's the easiest way to do it. And we got, again lots of rv intent uh camping site sites and that's 20 dollars a night that's also on the website as well and we'll be putting uh vendors um uh, information on there as well too so yeah i'm gonna be busy i think i'm gonna be banging away at the uh keyboard here till like three in the morning which yeah, means nothing be- to, to jasper because that's all he does anyways he's just he's yeah. up 24 hours a day so
0: and Jeff waging war on the next infringement of our civil civil rights and liberties. Is
1: Jeff coming
2: out just before I close too. I just wanted to acknowledge um, uh, a very dear and close personal friend of mine. Uh, her name was, uh, she passed, she passed away oh. a couple weeks ago after a, a very you know, brief battle with cancer. Um, uh, Char, uh, Charlene was a really big fan of this show um she um uh was a big supporter of the movement a big supporter of all the work that we were doing and uh, anyway she'll she'll be greatly missed and i I'm just want to hear, to hear that i do acknowledge her tonight before we yeah. sign up
1: thank you thank you
2: well, thanks for that jeff yeah.
1: well folks
0: it's uh 10 34 we've been listening to carrie ramble on for two hours now
1: at least that what am i put in oh. 10 words this entire episode
0: yeah i know <laughs> I know you talked long. You'll long. hear
1: more from me on Wednesday when uh, I'm hosting the APP webinar and we're having, uh, I'm excited. We're having uh, Jason Levine on and he's going to be talking about the Coots Four uh, and what's going on with that in terms of what he's been able to figure out uh, with uh, some of the justice stuff, stuff, stuff that seems to be corrupted in uh, in the way the, the, the whole case is gone so you'll definitely want to see that and then of course we bring that in for an alberta prosperity project webinar and we talk about how things can change if alberta was its own independent whatever you want to call it or at least had some more power within canada and so yeah, that's it's not about
0: uh, the problems it's about the solutions
1: absolutely it is so stick around and uh, see that on Wednesday at, uh, yeah, don't stick around. That'd be ridiculous, but come back on Wednesday at seven o'clock. We do the Wednesday webinars uh, with uh, the Alberta prosperity project.
0: Absolutely. And I also want to plan another uh, episode, Jeff, where we go through your policy resolution. That would be great. Yeah. And uh, really give people an idea of what they are and why they need to get involved and how
2: it will benefit us. So uh, you didn't, get to hear enough tonight about what a hero you are, Chris. And I mean, I just again want to thank and acknowledge you for, you know, sticking your neck out and being out front on this the way you have. Um, a lot of guts to do what you did. And God damn it, I'm proud to know you.
0: Thank you very much. And the, and the feeling is mutual because there weren't a lot of lawyers who actually took up yep. this fight and did it the way that, that you guys have done. So yeah. if it wasn't for that, we, you know, guys like me would have no chance. We'd just be kind of flailing in the wind. So You know
1: what? There was like maybe 1% of lawyers, 1% of doctors, 1% of anything. But it, what does it take, Chris? 3.5%?
0: 3.5%. That's all it takes, folks. 3.5% of society to change the direction.
3: That's And, what I care and I'll,
2: I'll tell you what. I mean, and this is something we've said more than once in our family. The best thing to come out of this pandemic is at the end of this, we really know who our friends are. <laughs> And we made a lot of new friends, and we absolutely these new connections, and uh, we're that much stronger for it. So, you know, anyway, let's just keep moving forward. It's such an honor to be associated with you, gentlemen. The four of us would have never met.
1: No, you're right. Absolutely, <laughs> probably right. I've been to the
2: other <laughs> uh, Road. I you probably know. so. I, we, we may have run into one another, but
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are stronger together
0: absolutely we'll be seeing a lot more of each other so yeah. thank you very much folks for watching and sticking around so long uh stay tuned for what's coming up because it's going to be far more interesting than what's been in the past we got some big stuff happening yeah. uh in addition to that we have some fun stuff happening like the rodeo uh and we will i think we'll bring we'll bring jasper on again carrie yes, And we'll do we something fun we'll see if yeah. we can raise uh some money to get him to get his trip over here he can flip some burgers and cook some turkey legs again we had be a awesome. great time doing that <laughs> yeah. so stay tuned for that and uh, yeah just always look for the silver lining folks yeah. and uh, remember what my friend Roger says sometimes plan B is much better than plan a and my plan a for this was Supreme Court and winning and you know changing yeah. history but plan B I think is going to be just as exciting if not more so absolutely yeah we'll,
2: we'll have a lot of fun moving forward so we'll just keep at it there we go Okay.
0: okay. Hi, good night, night everybody. everybody. Night, Jasper. Go to bed.
2: Jasper, or good morning,
1: Jasper. He's up so late. He, he should go
3: to sleep. He looks tired. Yeah. tired. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. Have a good one. Pleasure meeting you, sir.
0: What What do I do? I'm not sure what to do. I don't know <laughs> what to do when I...
3: <laughs> Nice to meet you. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Press this button. Here
1: we go. Who's running the uh, production? <laughs>
0: I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that.